0: You know, reproductive rights is absolutely critical. It's fundamental to to everything, especially for women. I mean, we there is no freedom without it.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl Podcast. I'm your host Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today, we're continuing with our series leading up to the midterms called Candidate Conversations, where we chat with candidates from across the country who might not be getting as much press, but whose races are deeply important. Today's podcast will be split into individual conversations with two amazing Democratic candidates for Attorney General, Jen Jordan from Georgia and Rochelle Garza from Texas. While they don't get the same attention as other races, the Attorney General is the state's top prosecutor and has the power to file lawsuits on behalf of the state. At its most simple, the attorney general is the people's lawyer, meant to represent the public interest at the state level. But these amazing women are running against extreme anti-choice opponents in deeply anti-choice states at the moment where women and pregnant people's rights are being trampled around the country. Both states have a minimum six-week abortion ban on the books, criminal penalties for women and doctors, Georgia has a personhood law for six-week-old zygotes, and Texas has a stock pregnant women to get cash bounty law. It's all appalling, and we clearly need brave, bold leaders who understand the hideous overreach of these laws fighting on the people's behalf. But the AGs also deal with voter protections, or in the Republicans' case, voter suppression, And we need to make sure that we are voting for top lawyers who will uphold the rights of the people, not strip their rights away. Both Jen and Rochelle are those lawyers and both deserve our attention and assistance in getting the job. We start today with Jen Jordan from Georgia. Jen grew up in a small town of Eastman, Georgia with her single mother and sister. Her mom was a hairdresser, so after school she would go and sweep the floor and wash people's hair. A brilliant student, Jen earned a Hope Scholarship for college, where she supported herself by being a waitress. But it was when she went to law school that she found her true passion. Jen has been quoted saying, The law is where everyone is supposed to be treated equally. The problem is, it doesn't often work that way. A practicing lawyer who was a federal law clerk, in house counsel, and a partner at a firm in Atlanta. Jen ran and was elected to the Georgia State Senate in 2017, where she's been a chairman of the Senate Special Judiciary Committee, member of the Senate Banking and Financial Institutions, and member of the Government Oversight Committee. Unlike her opponent, Republican incumbent Chris Carr, who never meaningfully practiced law and has been using the position of AG as a political stepping stone, Jen has been a practicing lawyer for years, was the president of the University of Georgia's Law School Association Council, serves on the board of governors for the State Bar of Georgia, and has worked diligently to protect the right to vote, children from predators, and to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. And she personally took on a case that ended up shutting down a plant that was pouring carcinogenics into the air and poisoning Georgians. The front and center question for the AG of Georgia is whether they will hold up Georgia's new abortion ban, defending it in court, or if they will challenge the law. Carr has argued that the role of AG is to enforce states' laws regardless of personal opinion. Jordan believes the AG has the right to legally decline to defend state law if it is deemed to be unconstitutional. She says it's not her opinion, but her legal duty to decline to defend a law that violates the rights of the people in the state. Georgian voters will have to decide which top lawyer best represents their way of thinking. So without further ado, please welcome my first guest, practicing lawyer, state senator, and candidate for attorney general of Georgia, Jen Jordan. Welcome, Jen. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. This is incredible. Well, thank you for joining me. I know lawyers are easy targets for jokes and for hatred, but good lawyers can be absolute heroes. You know, and I think we forget that. My dad was a lawyer. I can tell you there was a period of time where I really considered being a lawyer. And I think most people can get their head around what lawyers do, but I don't know if everyone has the job of attorney general in their head more specifically. So what is the attorney general and why should people be fired up to vote for one? In Georgia,
2: it really is more the... Um, the attorney for the state, but also the attorney for the people, because we forget that the state and government is really about the people, ultimately. And government is really about keeping people safe and also making government work for people. And that's just kind of a real basic thing. But I will tell you that after Dobbs and the reversal of Roe, that offered a real kind of clarifying point with respect to what an AG would do. And so for me, what I've tried to be very clear is that if I were attorney general right now in the state of Georgia, I would be challenging this law as unconstitutional under the state constitution. I would be doing everything I could um, to be giving guidance that is protective to women. And I definitely wouldn't have ran to the courthouse like the current AG to try to get the law to go into effect as quickly as possible. I mean, there are real life ramifications, not just for women, but for doctors and hospitals and residency programs. And I mean, you know, we have one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the country because we don't have OBGYN. So what do we do? We tell them that we're going to throw them in jail. I mean, it it just doesn't even make any sense.
1: You're a state senator right now. And you recently made this very impassioned speech on the Senate floor dissenting this bill that, that Georgia has passed, which is HB 481 or the Life Act, which bans abortion after six weeks, but also puts into law that all fertilized eggs or zygotes or embryos are natural persons entitled to the same rights and benefit as any other person after that six-week threshold. And the law is one of the most restrictive in the entire country, which basically, as you said, turns Georgian women seeking reproductive care into criminals and definitely their doctors or anyone that helps them into criminals. At the time, you said on the floor, look, I didn't run for office to fight the culture wars around choice, but you did run for office to be a voice for the people who didn't have the power to be heard. And I think that's why you spoke up that day. It wasn't specifically for women, right? You know, I sat there in the chamber that day
2: and listened to man after man after man, all Republicans. And also, by the way, um, it was their strategy not to be questioned by any of us, and specifically (laughs) me. They would not take questions from the women. And, And to get up there and act like they had any clue about anything. Look, I think one of the the, the the thing that kind of clarifies it the most is the fact that in law now is the word womb. Um, I don't know about you, but I have never seen an anatomy and physiology book that that tells you where the womb is. That really is kind of a, a religious term. It was coming from kind of an evangelical place, but it was also coming from a place of control. And as a woman who lives in a woman's body and knows how difficult it is, and who's wanted children, who has lost children, who has had children. It's a lot, right? And, and, and women do not take any of these choices lightly. It's not like you're, you're like, I'm going to go to Target and then go get an abortion. I mean, that's not what, that's just not what this is about. But that's the way they acted. It was as if women just couldn't be trusted, could not be trusted to make these decisions. And I'm like, but you're going to trust them to be the mothers that raise
1: these children? It just, it just doesn't make sense. You were fired up and it was wonderful because you were visibly sort of disgusted by what was happening. And you were calling out the medical inconsistencies and lack of knowledge of the people that were pushing these ideas. You know, it seems to be sort of a standard thing for Republican politicians now, this willingness to sort of disregard physicians and experts and to get the result that they want. And then this absolute, as you said, lack of respect and trust for women, the people that are actually going to live with these life consequences. At the end of the day, you pointed out that we're talking about life existing before medical viability, right? And you were saying that not only were the OBGYNs that were talking to these politicians ignored, the doctors were ignored. These doctors whose entire job is to bring healthy babies into the world, they were threatened, and they were told to stand down and they were basically blackmailed. They were, It's like, if you keep objecting to this, you might not get the funding you need for maternal right. care or for family planning or for rural birth centers. I mean, it's horrible what happened getting that bill passed in Georgia. And I think people really need to understand that if we are going to subject the doctors and the women and anyone who helps the women to criminal prosecution and imprisonment and, you know, making them into uh, pariahs in their own society. What are we doing? How is that the law? And certainly how is that freedom, right? You you said it so clearly, you said each of you sits here in judgment of a situation you could never comprehend. And you're making these decisions about things you don't understand without listening to the people that are involved or the experts that know what they're talking about.
2: Yes, all of it, right? Like it was... You know, living through it, it was very surreal because um, behind closed doors, Republicans would say to me, oh, Jen, don't worry about this. This is just a political thing we're doing um, for the base. It's going to get, you know, overturned. You know, we know that. We know it's unconstitutional. And I was like, you don't understand that you are playing with people's lives. And, And we've seen it since this bill has gone into effect. I remember I got a call the first week from a woman who was 17 weeks pregnant. She had started to um, leak amniotic fluid. She was losing the pregnancy and there was nothing that could be done. The doctor said to her, "I I know how I would normally manage this miscarriage, but I need to go talk to the hospital lawyer to see what I can and cannot do. And can you imagine like, you're going through one of the most difficult times, right? You are losing a pregnancy that you want desperately. And you're worried about your own life. You're worried about the fact, are you going to survive for your other children? And your doctor is basically saying, I can't provide you care until I get the okay from legal. That that is what we have done in this state. You know, we've we've basically made this state one where every pregnant woman not only needs a, a doctor, but she needs a lawyer because that's where that's what they have done in terms of these medical decisions that really the government should not be in the middle of.
1: Yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons you're running for AG because technically the AG is the people's lawyer. Like you said, you these people now need a lawyer on top of a doctor in the middle of a crisis. And if you become the attorney general of Georgia, you've promised to challenge this law in court because in your legal opinion, the law violates Georgia's state constitution and its very extensive privacy protections. Your opponent, uh, Chris Carr, the current incumbent, is saying that the AG is supposed to defend the state laws, but you feel that it's your primary obligation to enforce the state's constitution. And in your case, there's a direct conflict between the two things.
2: Well, and not only that, but look, we had a debate last week. And Carr basically said that he believes that it is the attorney general's role to defend every single law that the General Assembly passes, no matter how unconstitutional. So you ima- you can imagine some of the stuff that that could come out of the General Assembly. And he's saying that that he has a higher obligation, you know, to that body than he does to the people or to the constitution that he swore an oath to, not only as an attorney general, but but as an attorney, right, you have an obligation to make sure that the law is followed, the rule of law, which really is established kind of at the highest levels, you know, by the Constitution. So we, we differ significantly with respect to that, because for, from my perspective, the attorney general here in the state of Georgia is an independent constitutional officer, not not appointed by the governor, not hired by the General Assembly, but elected by the people. So ultimately, it really is the people that are, would be my constituents, would be my clients and who I need to serve um, with respect to their interests and their rights.
1: Yeah, it depends on who you think your client is. You clearly think your client is the people of Georgia and your opponent thinks his client is the Republican legislature. Or the Republican Party for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Supporters of this law say it's not meant to prosecute women, right, who obtain abortions, that only medical providers who provide the abortions or people who support people seeking abortions are going to be prosecuted. But that's a roundabout way. I mean, we're not stupid. That's a roundabout way of stopping abortions. I mean, how is a woman supposed to get an abortion if she can't find a doctor who will do it because he might go to jail? How is a woman supposed to discover what she can have or what her health choices are if no one's allowed to talk to her or take her anywhere or help her with anything? It's basically isolating women and leaving them without help or the right information to take care of their health. We are making a second tier of citizens in our society, and that's women who can't even ask questions anymore.
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is, is they keep they, they point to the criminal abortion statute to to say, see, we we don't intend to to prosecute women. But what they don't understand, or at least they're they're being incredibly obtuse about, is the fact that when you say that an embryo is a person that has all the protections of Georgia law, all the protections. That means that if you terminate a pregnancy, that can subject you to the general laws in the state of Georgia with respect to murder, manslaughter. I mean, people have talked about what women can just go across state lines. Well, if you really do believe that an embryo is a person and a pregnant lady crossed the state lines, terminated a pregnancy and came back, absolutely she could be prosecuted. She could be prosecuted for, for murder, manslaughter, conspiracy um, to murder. I mean, it's just all of these things that, that they're really just trying to push to the side and, and and kind of say, you know, it's not happening because they don't want women to know the truth before election day. That, yeah, that's really I, what it comes down to.
1: That's exactly right. They don't want women to know the truth because you just have to think about it. You don't even have to be a legal mind like you. I mean, I sit here and I to say, Okay, well, a personhood provision is a slippery slope, right? Because anyone who unintentionally injures a fetus or kills a fetus or... You know, has a miscarriage. There's like this weird overlap between miscarriages and what could be perceived as an abortion. Even if you do something like you were drive, were you driving too fast? You know, what? Well, that's just it. Have you done something? It's kind of like involuntary manslaughter, right?
2: Yes. your, Your your doctor says you should not eat lunch meat. You should not eat sushi. You should not have a glass of wine, right? You have been told kind of what the rules are when you're pregnant. So let's say somebody sees you eating sushi and then a couple of weeks later you miscarry, right? I mean, can you be subject to prosecution at that point? And even apart from that, let's say the person who saw you eating sushi was a social worker, a nurse, someone who is subject to the mandatory reporter laws in the state of Georgia with respect to child abuse or child endangerment. And if you don't report then, then you can have your license taken and your livelihood taken away. And so do you then go tell on the pregnant woman who's, who's at the sushi bar because it's child abuse or, or you perceive it as endangering the pregnancy? When you talk about a slippery slope, it is about as slippery as you can get. And really, at the end of the day,
1: what it all means is that it's just bad for women. It's bad for women. I mean, even your libertarian candidate that's running in your race, I mean, he is not going to win. It's between you and Chris. But even the libertarian candidate whose platform basically calls for limiting government involvement in citizens' lives, he agrees with you. He's like, well, this whatever is too happened much. to the Republicans saying they're conservative, they don't want government involvement.
2: I mean, the whole vaccination or mask thing was my body, my choice. We sure did. uh, I guess if you're a man, it's your body, it's your choice. But when it comes to women, it's exactly the opposite. I mean, this is a government mandate and this is so overreaching. And, and, and normally, you know, we can talk about this and argue about this more kind of theoretically, but at the end of the day, these are real decisions on the ground being made every day by physicians that are really just trying to save the lives of women and provide them the care that they need so that they can have healthy pregnancies, so that they can have healthy
1: children at the end of the day. And like you said, at the end of the day, it's not theoretical at all. This is real people dealing with real situations. I mean, during that same really well-known speech that you made on the Senate floor, you said it doesn't matter how many times you say something, it doesn't make it true. It doesn't matter what you call this bill. If you call it the heartbeat bill, there isn't a heartbeat at 5.5 weeks. It's just not true. And we are living in these precarious times where people think if you just repeat something enough, it becomes the truth, but it doesn't. And I'm sure when you said that, you were talking about election deniers and people who are saying that, you know, if we can just say enough times that the president is the president and that Donald Trump won the presidency, then it's going to be true. But that doesn't make it true. Just saying something doesn't make it true. And that is something else as an AG you're going to have to handle, right, because especially prevalent in Georgia is this concept of who gets to vote, what votes count, you know, all this kind of stuff that you as the AG would have to protect. Yeah, and look, the AG has jurisdiction over those cases too. Yeah, I mean,
2: the, the current AG really has not done his job on in so many ways. But really, the most important ways have have been about protecting people's rights. I mean, it's it's real basic, and and we can dif- differ on different things. But at the end of the day, really, the most important thing is the right to vote, right? Because that's where all other rights kind of come out of. If we don't have the right to vote, then then we we really what don't we have doing? anything at the end of the day. So it's, yeah. So voting rights, I mean, just even offering guidance, right, to local election officials about what you can and cannot do. And and mainly what you can't do in terms of turning people away. I think there's a real responsibility there. And I think there's a responsibility in terms of messaging and saying, this is true and this isn't, right? And, And let me tell you why, and walking people through it. Uh, because people have got to start to trust government again. I mean we've got to get back to that place but we can't do that unless government works for everybody and and that ultimately is is what I want to do in the AG's office is really be the be the lawyer for all people, not some people, not just Republicans, not just men,
1: but all people. And you know I think the people of the state of Georgia deserve that. Yeah, the people of America deserve that. I mean, quite frankly, I'm always saying that we're not going to be able to talk certain people out of believing that the government can work. We're going to have to show have them. To show them. Uh, yeah, we and that starts them. with electing people that are going to actually do the job correctly and not to their own service. I mean, right. defending the rights of Georgians is actually the first issue on your website. It's the first thing you talk about because obviously George has been ground zero for all the 2020 election shenanigans, you know, from Trump calling for certain votes to Lindsey Graham calling, Brad Raffensperger turning them down. You've pointed out that Georgia responded to the 2020 election results with expanded voter suppression and, you know, to make sure that we can deny people the access to vote and to keep Democrats from winning future elections. I mean, it's really clear what they're trying to do. You've said it's very clear what they're trying to do. Well, look, I was there. I mean, they they said it. I mean, It's interesting because in the past, whenever
2: there was some voting stuff around, they would try to act like it was about voter integrity or voting. They're going to make it easier, something. But literally, they weren't even pulling any punches. It was like, we lost. We don't want to lose again. And this is what we're going to do about it. And of course, it impacts, you know, black and brown voters the most. I mean, they went after the counties with the highest minority voter count in the state. I mean, it was it was crystal clear what they were doing. I mean, Brian Kemp is on tape. The governor is on tape saying that if more minorities vote, they lose. Right? Which so is what true. do you think he's doing? I mean, he's running. What are you, they're, what they're all doing? They're just trying to cook the books at the end of the day, and so yeah. that's why we we've, we've told people to get out early and vote because really the it, the real issues and the real problems were put into the absentee ballot. Um, application process, you know, you've got to do this and that, all these little pitfalls, right? If you don't sign in exactly right, if you don't do this or the timing. And so we're like, look, if you can get out, just get out early, get out as quickly as you can vote. And then you'll know if there's a problem. I mean, we had a young woman who was a, a student at Spelman who showed up to vote the other day and they told her that she couldn't cast a regular ballot because her 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 registration had been challenged. And she was like, what are you talking about? My, I'm challenged. She's like, who? What? I mean, it's that kind of stuff, right? And so we're telling people, get out early, just bank your vote. And look, there's an added benefit, which is politicians will stop bothering you, right? They'll stop texting you. They'll stop calling you.
1: <laughs> you know. It's why it's more essential than ever that the people are voting for Georgia officials that actually want to monitor the voting and take care of the voting and not sort of stretch the voting, which takes me to your opponent, right? I know why people should be voting for you over Chris Carr, but why don't you tell me why you believe you are better to be Georgia's attorney general than your opponent? Well, first of all, I've actually practiced law. I mean, there you know, we go. That's a
2: positive, <laughs> right? Um, Top lawyers should know how to be a lawyer. Right. I mean, I've been in court. I've tried cases. I know what it means to represent individuals. I also, you know, I grew up in South Georgia, you know, raised by a single mother who's a hairdresser. And it's my lived experience is so different than the guy who has the job now and is so much in touch with the people of this state. And I think that's it. I think a lot of the politicians, a lot of the elected leaders are just out of touch they don't get it. They don't know what it means to walk in the shoes of these voters and what their life looks like every day. And so for me, the attorney general's office could be such, you know, such a force for good. Right. Whether we're talking about rights or, or economic justice, environmental justice or, you know, going after people who are taking advantage of consumers, whatever it is, it really could be just a force for good in this state. It's what I've done for over 20 years as a lawyer. And, um, you know, I can't wait to actually take it to the state level and be able to provide that type of service at that level to the people of this state.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you said, the attorney general is supposed to be independent, independent of the governor, independent of the general assembly. You're Opponent has been taking his marching orders from the moneyed special interests and the party leaders in Washington for forever. I mean, he clearly looks like he is trying to build a personal political power structure rather than be the attorney general for Georgia, because ultimately, you want the top lawyer in your state to be someone who's fighting for the people of your state, not just the people who have money or the people of power or the people of status. We can all see how that has served us as a country and as each individual state.
2: Yeah, Well, look, this is what I say. The moneyed interests, they have lawyers. They can afford them. It's really it's really the people, just the ordinary people, the voters, the senior citizens, the children, whomever it is. They're the ones that really need somebody to be able to kind of stand in the breach and stand up for them when things happen and when bad things happen. And I think what we've seen in Georgia in recent history, especially with the election stuff. I mean, Rudy Giuliani coming into our capital, you know, with his little, you know, his little clown car. Right. And, and trying, <laughs> you know, he presents this legal case. Right. This live streamed on OAN. And it was crazy. And at the time, I was like, this is so crazy, like these legal theories, none of this makes sense. And then after we saw January 6th commission, committee, and they come out and basically show what the scheme is, right, the overall scheme, and it was happening on the ground in Georgia, right? The fake electors trying to convince Pence that he could just do what he wanted in terms of certification. I mean, we had state senators flying up to have dinner with Pence the night before January 6th. To try to tell him he, you know, he could just do whatever he wanted. We dodged such a bullet in this state and we cannot take our institutions, our government, our democracy for granted. And we have to have people that are elected that actually want to preserve not only what we have, but make it better and make it serve everybody.
1: That's why they keep trying to take votes away. Because if the many vote we would be in a totally different situation. There's there's no
2: doubt. And they know that. I mean, that's the whole point, right? The messaging is like, oh, whatever. You don't need to get out and vote. It's not a big deal. It doesn't make a difference. I'm like, why do you think they are trying so hard to take it away from you? It's, it's like yeah. your power. It's like the one power that we all have as citizens. I mean, the richest person in the world's vote, you know, Elon Musk, if he's even registered, um, <laughs> his vote counts just as much as the checkout person at Kroger does, right? Exactly yeah. the same. And there are very few instances or places where that happens in this world. And so people need to understand that and they need to understand just how powerful it is because otherwise people would not be trying to take that power away.
1: Yeah, and we should be strengthening democracy, making it more fair, not less fair. Right? Stop
2: changing the rules just so you can win.
1: Why don't, why don't you try to be more inclusive? Why don't you
2: stop trying to target people? Why don't you stop dividing people, or trying to overturn our government? I mean, there's all these things, right, that we can do, or that Republicans could do. It's like just start having good ideas. That's what you (laughs) need to do, right? Then you win. You win. You don't have to change the rules. So it's just it's just kind of crazy. I'm just like just be better. Just be better. And then you can win. And then, you know, and then government's better because at least then it really is about the ideas. It really is about governing. And, and it's not about personality or team. Right. I'm going to always vote for my team because we've seen where that's gotten us. And it is not it is not a good place.
1: We need leaders like you that are like, hey, just come with better ideas, bring new ideas, look out for the people, make democracy work for us again, right? And I I just, I'm so grateful that you took the time in such a busy schedule to come and talk to us today, Jen, because I know that you believe that every person should be equal uh, before the law. But as you point out, so often that doesn't happen. We see that all the time. And I believe that Georgia and I believe that the country, but particularly Georgia, since I'm talking to you, deserves an attorney general with the background and the desire to understand how the law can be used as a tool of justice rather than a tool of power. Someone who wants to fight to create a more level playing field for everyone and a safer community and a state that's fair for all Georgians. Georgia deserves a lawyer that's looking out for them. I I could not agree more. I hope people see you and think like, hell yeah. Like, I want this ballsy woman coming out to like, stand up for my rights and say, I want my vote to count and I want to have my rights, my human rights be seen because you're the one that's going to do it. It certainly will not be your opponent. Uh,
2: I I think that is, that is a hundred percent. So thank
1: you. (laughs)
2: Everybody needs to get out and vote. Everybody needs to get get out out and vote vote. immediately.
1: Thank you, Chad. So that was Jen Jordan, Democratic candidate for Attorney General of Georgia, reminding us that the AG is the people's lawyer, not just a shill for the party or big-moneyed interests. She sees the job of AG as one that can once again make things fair, to fight for the people's rights in the face of those who would take them away. Now we'll take a break to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible, and we'll be right back with the rock star AG candidate, Rochelle Garza, running in Texas against the completely corrupt Republican incumbent, Ken Paxton. Stick around. I'm so excited that Bombas is one of our sponsors because they truly make one of the best products ever. I didn't need any sample products when we started this partnership because our drawers are literally already filled with Bombas. Bombas make socks and underwear and t-shirts and slippers. They use materials like premium cotton and ultra soft never itchy merino wool. Their shirts don't scratch and their socks don't slip. Our family has their short socks, their long socks, their athletic socks, their snowboarding socks, their hiking socks. And with the holidays coming, I'm telling you, this is a good gift. People are like, don't give socks. No, dude, give socks. Give Bombas socks. Everyone will love them and you'll end up a hero. And for every item you buy online, Bombas will donate one item. Did you know that socks and underwear and t-shirts are three of the most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? Well, Bombas does. And that's why they've already donated over 75 million items of clothing. So feel good and do good this holiday season with Bombas. Go to bombas.com/politicsgirl and use the code Politics Girl for 20% off your first purchase. That's b-o-m-b-a-s dot com/politicsgirl code Politics Girl for 20% off. Bombas.com/politicsgirl. I promise you will thank me. Look. I'm a woman, I'm over 40, and I wear makeup every day, which is why I am so happy that I'm partnering with Thrive Cosmetics. If you're gonna wear makeup every day, you wanna wear makeup that's made with clean, skin-loving ingredients that have no parabens or sulfates or any of that extra stuff you don't want. I want a company to be cruelty-free because I don't want some little bunny getting stabbed in the eye so I can have a good mascara. Well, Thrive Cosmetics is that company, and it's not just good for us. They spelled it C-A-U-S-E for a reason because every product purchased supports organizations that help communities thrive. I use Thrive Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara every single day. I said in a previous pod that I used to have a mascara club back in the day. So I'm telling you, I take my mascara incredibly seriously because mascara is serious business. First of all, my eyelashes are blonde, so without mascara I can literally look eyeless, but also because mascara can get all over your face. It can make your eyes red and irritated, and it can make you look worse, not better if you get it wrong. But the Liquid Lash Extension Mascara is Thrive's best-selling product for a reason. It has more than 20,000 five-star reviews, and you can add me to that list of five stars. It's ultra lengthening eye-opening mascara that goes on all day without clumping or smudging. Plus it's a tubing mascara. So when you wash your face, you don't even need soap. It just slides off with warm water. They use clean, nourishing ingredients to support longer, stronger, healthier looking lashes over time. It basically mimics the look of lash extensions without damaging your eyes or your wallet. And because you can probably tell I like companies that have bigger missions than just making money, Thrive Cosmetics really resonates with me. For every product purchased at Thrive Cosmetics, they donate to a giving partner through their Bigger Than Beauty project. In fact, they have over 300 giving partners across the country. Right now is a great time to try Thrive Cosmetics. Get 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com politicsgirl. That's Thrive Cosmetics, spelled C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com politicsgirl for 15% off your first order and take advantage of that deal. Get their brilliant eye brightener and the liquid lip balm at the same time. They're great products. thrivecosmetics.com slash politics girl. And we're back. This next conversation puts us in one of those situations you can't even believe is real. Rochelle Garza, Staff attorney at the ACLU, managing partner of her own law firm, bilingual, lifelong fighter for border communities of the Rio Grande Valley, daughter of a teacher and a fifth generation farmer who went on to get his law degree and become a judge, a woman who spent her career fighting for the right of every person to dignity and respect and fairness under the law, an advocate for human rights who took on the powers that be and won a case in 2017 for the right of an abused immigrant teenager being held in detention at the border who was denied the right to an abortion. A powerhouse of a woman who is now the Democratic candidate running for attorney general of Texas against what could possibly be one of the most corrupt politicians in the entire country, Republican incumbent and current attorney general Ken Paxton. You might remember Ken Paxton as the AG who recently ran from his own home in a getaway truck driven by his wife so he couldn't be served a subpoena. Or you might know him as the attorney general who bragged that without his suppression of mail-in voting, Biden might have won Texas. You might recall he was the AG who filed the bogus lawsuit to overturn the 2020 election while he was trying to secure himself a presidential pardon for the indictment of securities fraud he's been using the power of his office to try and get out of for the past seven years. Perhaps you know him as the attorney general under FBI investigation for bribery and corruption, the one whose own employees blew the whistle on him for taking bribes, a man who has been sued by the Texas State Bar for professional misconduct. Or maybe you know him from his most recent action, where he recently joined 10 other Republican attorney generals to file a brief with the 11th Circuit to argue that Trump deserved executive privilege in the Mar-a-Lago case, but Biden government does not. So the top lawyer in Texas is arguing that the ex-president, a private citizen, deserves more executive privilege than the current president and head of the executive branch of our government. You can't make this shit up. This is the second time this man has run for office while under criminal indictment. And his argument against Michelle Garza is that she's just too liberal. I would argue that he's wrong for Texas because he's completely illiberal or just an absolute criminal. And as we know from our conversation with Jen Jordan, the AG is the top lawyer in the state. You'd hope that you'd agree with them on principles, but at the very least, shouldn't they be beholden to the law? So without further ado, please welcome my second guest, ACLU lawyer, proud Fronteriza, and Democratic candidate for Attorney General of Texas, Rochelle Garza. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you for having me on. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I think you're an absolute badass, and I'm thrilled to have you on. Now, I just introduced you as a Fronteriza, so do you want to tell people what that is so they don't think I'm just out here making up words?
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. But first (laughs) and foremost, I want to say that I am... Coming to you live from the Nueces County Democratic Party uh, headquarters, they are knocking on doors and making sure that they're reaching voters across Nueces County in Corpus Christi, Texas. So, you know, I'm from I'm from Brownsville. I, I grew up on the border with Mexico. Matamoros is the sister city. We call them sister cities, and really, what that means. Fronteriza means, I mean, somebody who was raised on the border that grew up in a bicultural, binational, bilingual environment. That's who I am. That's where I come from. My family's been there for five generations. And I have a lot of memories of of, of the region, of, of crossing over to Matamoros with my dad to go get Topo Chico before it got imported into the United States. Fronteriza is a recognition of our interconnectedness with our sister cities uh, across a, a border. I mean, we're connected economically, socially, our families, and that really informed who I am and it informed my, my vision of the world and, and how I look at uh, my role as an American and uh, what that means for me as also as a Texan.
1: Yeah. Well, you're someone that kind of embodies the language and cultures of both sides of the border and, and both parts of the you know biggest populations in your state, right? And you're kind of moving smoothly between the two of them. And I think we should definitely have more representatives that, that can really represent the culture.
0: So Texas is actually a, a majority minority state. 60% of the population of the state of Texas are people of color and 40%, nearly 40% are are. Latino, mostly Mexican American. So yes, I mean, I, I think representation is really important in, in statewide politics um, in, you know, when it comes to to any position, really, because, you know, we, we've got people in, in the state house and uh, in our legislature that are just not looking out for our communities and for our families, especially rural Texas, and, and like where I'm from. And You know, we need to change that. Absolutely. I mean, in the introduction, I spoke
1: about your just amazing background and your opponent's equally appalling background. Um, But you weren't even originally planning to run for AG, right? I mean, you were going to run for an open congressional seat, but you ultimately changed your mind and decided to run for an office that has been in Republican hands for 30 years. What made you do that?
0: In the first instance, I wanted to get into politics because I realized that, if we're going to make a real impact on on anything we have to we have to do it through politics. I had this moment where I was representing people at the border. I've, I've been practicing civil rights in in Brownsville and South Texas for a number of years now and I and I had this moment where I realized if we're going to change anything, we can only do so much through the court system. We have to be the change maker and to be a change maker, you have to be in politics. So so that's what pushed me into it and I had every intention of representing my community in District 34 in the Southern tip of Texas, but redistricting happened. Uh, yes. Texas was, was shaped, I mean, it was gerrymandered and, and it was shaped in a way where we didn't have real representation. There was only one competitive congressional district in the state of Texas, and we have uh, 38 congressional districts. There's only one. So if that says anything to you about what has been done to the state of politics in Texas, it's, you know, it's dismal. And what happens when you push, when you, when you create very red districts and very blue districts is that you push people to the fringes. And so we're seeing really extreme things coming out of the state legislature because that's what gets them elected. Um, And so I, I felt like, you know what, I've taken on Paxton in the past. I, I represented a young woman who needed access to abortion care during, uh, during the Trump administration, was denied that care, and Paxson tried to involve himself in it. So I've taken him on before. I've beaten him before, and I felt ready to take him on in this capacity and make sure that we have real representation in this office that is looking out for our families and for our children, because Ken Paxson is only looking out for himself. He's more worried about staying out of prison than he is about serving the interests of Texans.
1: You and your opponent are just about opposite in everything you could be opposite in, right? I mean, from voting rights to human rights, the difference between the two of you as the state's top legal mind literally feels like the difference between good and evil. But I thought we would just go through a couple of your issues one by one so people know where you stand. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. obviously, we have to start with reproductive rights, because as you were saying, you really hit the national consciousness when you became an advocate for a woman who was just a teenager escaping abuse in her own country and seeking freedom in ours, right, who found herself pregnant at a detention center at the border and sought the right to choose to end the pregnancy. But she was stopped, as you said, by the Trump administration. Ken Paxton, the the Texas AG, got involved. I think even Brett Kavanaugh was involved because he was one of the judges who ruled originally on her case. That's right.
0: Yeah, Brett Kavanaugh, um, it was it was the only abortion case he heard as an appellate judge. It was really his audition to get on to the Supreme Court of the United States. And it, it was in that decision that it became very clear to me that Brett Kavanaugh was going to vote to overturn Roe because his decision would have forced my client, Jane, to have a child against her will. He did not respect precedent. And I said as such, when I testified against him during his confirmation hearings in 2018, you know, reproductive rights is absolutely critical. It's fundamental to, to everything, especially for women. I mean, we, there is no freedom without it, right? We have to have that ability to control our own future, our own destiny to decide when, or if we want to become a parent. Um, and, what we saw happen with the fall of Roe, it, essentially, you know, you have half of, of this country told that they are, you know, that they don't matter, that their rights don't matter. You know, I think a lot about Jane Doe. I've been thinking a lot about her throughout the course of this campaign because I, I talk a lot about her and I talk a lot about her case. I mean, she was someone that people in power didn't believe mattered. You know, Trump didn't believe she mattered. Ken Paxton didn't believe she mattered. Brett Kavanaugh didn't believe she mattered. And she showed them that she did and she stood up for herself. Imagine being someone in a foreign nation. You don't speak the language. You're alone. You're a teen. You find out you're pregnant and you are not in the circumstances to become a parent. Imagine being in being her in that situation. And she still stood up for herself. And she was so I mean, I was so it was such an honor for me to represent her. And to work alongside all of these other advocates and lawyers that stood up for her and made sure that she got the care she needed. And the fact that that we were able to go even further and create the Garza notice that is given to teens across the country, that they have a right to access abortion care, and that it's still in effect today, where where teens, if you if they find themselves in custody in Texas, they are moved out of the state to enact their abortion decision in a state where they can. That's the power of this young woman that no one thought mattered. She changed everything for everyone else in her situation. And I see, I see that in this race. I see that where we are in Texas, because there is a total ban on abortion in the state of Texas. There are no exceptions for rape or incest. It doesn't matter how young you are. And people are not receiving care Uh, until they are almost dying, until they are septic. And my opponent, Ken Paxton, litigated to stop doctors from providing life-saving care. He is right now challenging the federal government, the Biden administration that is trying to provide care, some semblance of care to women who need access to an abortion in an emergency room. So the stakes could not be higher in this election. And it's not just in Texas when it comes to reproductive rights. What happens in Texas impacts the entire country, because Ken Paxton can pick whatever court he wants in the state of Texas, take it to the Fifth Circuit, which is the most conservative court in the country, and take that to the Supreme Court. And he's got all the votes he needs there. So if he wants to challenge marriage equality, which he said he does, he can do it. So this is going to impact not just Texans, it's going to impact the entire country. We need, to, we need to get him out of office.
1: I could not agree more. And I I, I want to make sure that we don't just breeze over the fact that this thing that exists, this called the Garza notice that you were mentioning, that's named after you. I mean, you say that this young, brave woman and all credit to her for being strong enough to stand up against all of these men. But you were there with her. And I want people to know that, that you're not just a lawyer running for AG. You're a lawyer that stood up for this case against all of these people, then you thought there was no question that this decision should belong to the woman, should belong to Jane Doe and not to these men. And with all the pushback you received, um, you did end up winning the case. And they named the Garza noticed after you so that all teenagers have the right to access abortion free of obstruction free of retaliation because of the work you did and I think people need to know that you're someone who walks the walk that you are giving the credit to your client and and we should all do that but it I think you also deserve the credit as well and like you said you're sitting in Texas right now which is in your own words under attack by politicians you know passing some of the most radical and restrictive laws across the country I mean it's just, it's appalling. It's no abortion after six weeks, no exception for rape and incest. The mother has to be basically on death's door to provide an exception. And Ken Paxton is fighting that exception, which is ludicrous. Um, And then, of course, you already yeah. had SB8, right, which passed earlier this year, which is basically pitting against neighbor against neighbor with $10,000 bounties on women who might have had abortions. I mean, Texas is an actual crisis when it comes to this issue. And- Paxton himself has promised to do every single thing he can to, quote unquote, protect unborn children. And yet you're very clear that reproductive health care and access to abortion is a moral imperative. And it's also an issue of racial and economic and gender justice. And people have to remember that. I was just seeing a thing the other day where someone said, this is about the economy. And I thought, what do you think abortion is about? I mean, what do you do yep. if you can't afford the amount of mouths at your table? What do you do if you have to quit your job because you're pregnant or you have another baby and you can't afford childcare? It is an economic issue. To try and separate right. abortion and economics is ludicrous because they are inextricably linked.
0: Absolutely, and and here's the thing: it's not only a human right, but it is it is an economic decision. It's an economic choice, uh, and it's going to have really negative impacts. Taking this right away from from people in Texas is going to have incredibly negative impacts not just on our healthcare system because we're seeing you know I've traveled the state of Texas and I've spoken to physicians that are terrified because they are being criminalized they could serve prison sentences of up to 99 years if they perform an abortion and are, and physicians that's why they're erring on the side of waiting until a patient is is on on, uh, on their deathbed before they intervene. And I've heard some really horrific stories. I won't repeat all of them, but um, just the things that, that, that these physicians are seeing, the amount of trauma that is being imposed on, on women in particular, and the financial burden. I mean, I'll just give one example. There was a physician I spoke with told me about a mother whose pregnancy was, was not viable the, the, the brain did not develop and it was not viable, they didn't even feel like they could recommend abortion, right? And so the patient carried the, the fetus to term and then had a C-section. So I, I had a C-section with my daughter. I, I had a, a baby seven months ago. And I w- when I was told that by the physician, I, my mouth just dropped. Because it's, it's major surgery, and to know that you are not taking home this baby that you grew in and that you wanted and that you loved, it's just so, it's so horrific. But that, that kind of trauma is being imposed on people in the state of Texas, and physicians are going to start leaving the state because they are scared. And what's going to happen to the state of healthcare in the state? We're already one of the most dangerous places in the country to have a child. Half of rural Texas doesn't even have access to a gynecologist. So businesses are going to be the next to leave. And and so it's going to impact us in, in a very big way. And we don't know the full ramifications quite yet.
1: Yeah. And I think we have to be really clear if you're going to force people to have babies in Texas, you should know the statistics in Texas, right? Like I think the most recent stats are Texas ranks out of all of the states, 50th in baby wellness checks, 50th in clinical care for infants, 50th in uninsured women, 43rd in maternal mortality, 44th in school funding per child, 46th in child hunger, like, you're the worst, you're the bottom of the barrel for how women and children are treated, and yet you're going to force women to have more children. So, I mean, obviously, we can safely say that women will be second-class citizens, slaves to the state who could quite easily die under Ken Paxton's leadership, and would be respected as autonomous citizens who have rights that deserve to be upheld under your leadership. So, I mean, we should be done, right? That should be you win in a landslide, go, you know, (laughs) Rochelle Garza. But that's not how it works. Right. So we have to talk about other things. There are other issues at hand here. So let's talk a little bit about voting rights. I mean, there's no two ways to look at it. Your opponent, Ken Paxton, tried to overturn the 2020 presidential election. I mean, he literally tried to throw out the American people's votes and install who the Republicans preferred as their leader. And now he has moved on during the midterms to create this elections oversight team, consisting of lawyers and investigators and support staff who are going to look into alleged violations and to assure elections are transparent and secure. I mean, it's not even clear that the AG's office has the power to do that. But we have this man who's embroiled in like a hundred scandals and he's still mm-hmm. out here trying to steal elections.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, so Ken Paxton was the warm-up act for the January 6th insurrection. He He sure was. He spoke on the day, and he's refused to, to turn over his phone records about that. Look, Ken Paxton is incredibly dangerous for democracy, and... The best example is, is what he's done with this quote-unquote voter integrity unit and how he has attacked uh, the expansion of voting, uh, voter access in in the state of Texas. So it, during, 20, during the 2020 election, there were several counties that were trying to make sure that they could collect ballots, that people could come and drop off ballots at different locations, uh, designated locations, especially in Harris County. And he sued to stop that. He is a huge threat to the ability uh, for Texans to exercise their right to vote. We we did see the passage of SB1, which is uh, the voter suppression bill, because that, that's what it is, that impacts mail-in ballots. You know, I mean, we're seeing people being disenfranchised in real time because the mail-in ballots are, are being rejected. You know, Ken Paxton in particular has just been so bad on this issue. This is just wild to me. But when he saw how close I I was in the polls to him, I have been consistently polling within two to five points of him. Back in August, when that first poll came out that I was within two points, that same week, he sent a letter to elections officials across the state, telling them to open up the ballots to inspection, which is not legal. <laughs> you know, The they're supposed to be held in confidence for 22 months under state and federal law. And so Ken Paxton telling these elections officials, you should just let anyone inspect them 24 hours after an election. It, he is literally telling people to commit a crime. So this is someone who doesn't believe in democracy, and, and I am concerned about what he's going to do on November 9th. And it's not just going to be our election, the election between him and myself, but it's going to be all of the elections that we're seeing in the state of Texas and beyond.
1: That's horrifying. Honestly, I think the thing is, is that everyone can understand that election integrity is so important. But the fact of the matter is voter fraud actually rarely happens. It's more of a a story to motivate Republican voters and convince them that the elections aren't safe and training them to think that there's some widespread pernicious problem. But in reality, it's not really an issue. It's just using the power of these offices, the power of Trump's presidency, the power of Ken Paxton's AG position to continue to give validity to a lie that serves them, right? Because you've said, if you get elected, you're going to dismantle Ken's election integrity unit, which is really nothing more than an enforcement mechanism for targeted voter suppression, as you said. And you're going to replace it with a voting rights unit, which would be under a fully funded civil rights division that you plan to open in the AG's office, right? Like this is night and day difference. You've got someone who's literally breaking the law to try and steal your vote. And then you have you who's gonna have a fully funded civil rights division for voter integrity. I feel like people really need to know the difference between the two of you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, my vision for the voting rights unit is to make sure that we that we make it easier for people to vote that are eligible to vote. I mean, this always impacts uh, people of color, people with disabilities, the elderly, that, that's who is whose vote is being suppressed by these laws so we need to make sure that we we address that that we improve things where we can and and my vision is to do that through a fully funded civil rights division as you mentioned and making sure that we've got we've got people that are mission driven and care about democracy in that office
1: protecting civil rights feels essential if it, it feels essential especially for texas because so many people's rights are abused and overlooked in your state
0: that's right and 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 using the powers of the office To investigate to litigate when necessary and hold people accountable i mean no one should be above the law especially not the current attorney general Uh, (laughs) but we need to make sure (laughs) we need to make sure that that people people have their civil rights respected and i always say like look if we don't respect one civil right that means we don't really respect all the civil rights because the erosion of rights always begins with with the most vulnerable and with the the civil right that is least liked, right, abortion rights in this case. So if you think that it that that it's not going to affect you because you know you don't need an abortion, that's not the case here.
1: No, it's just opening the door to taking away other civil rights, and eventually it'll that's get they'll right. get to you.
0: Yeah. Now, of
1: course, we can't talk about Texas without talking about the border, right? So although immigration enforcement falls under federal jurisdiction, under the direction of Governor Greg Abbott and AG Ken Paxton, Texas has been engaged in just a ridiculous amount of unconstitutional and wasteful border enforcement efforts recently, right? Rather than trying to solve the issues surrounding our broken immigration system and the problems at the border, it's like these guys are actively trying to make the situation worse because as usual, if you don't have any ideas, often the problem is worth more than the solution. Now, you're an immigration attorney and a border native, so you understand the complexities of the immigration system. You've litigated against bad policies like Remain in Mexico that created a humanitarian crisis at the border. And as attorney general, I think you have plans to even stop Governor Abbott's border wall and Operation Lone Star. You want to tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean... You hit the nail on the head. I am someone that understands the complexities of immigration law and the border as as a border native and as somebody who has been practicing immigration law and civil rights law on the border. You know the Republicans always make a thing of the border around election time, and the thing is, our border. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have
1: Ebola this year to hit, so we're back at the border.
0: Yeah, and our and 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 our border communities are. Are really rich places, like culturally speaking, but we do have a lot of poverty in these regions. Um, you know, thirty eight percent poverty rate is is uh, what Cameron County has. That's the county that that I'm from. I think that what we're seeing our state government do is it's a political stunt. Seventeen hundred dollars is being spent per person to be bust out of the state of Texas. I would love to see those dollars go into the border communities to actually help us. We've got a lot of cities, the unincorporated cities are called colonias that don't even have access to running water or to sewage. And those dollars could be spent on on making sure that we connect people to basic necessities. That's what I want to do with this office. The Attorney General's office has a colonias program. And I'm, my intention is to make sure we bulk that up, stop the spread of unincorporated cities in the state of Texas and make sure that we give people basic services and, and stop with the stunts. And, and And the thing is, look, we can we can be tough on crime. We absolutely can. And we should be, you know, because I've also seen that side of it. So we do need to address the human trafficking and the gun trafficking and the drug trafficking. And we can do those things, but not the way that it's being done right now. You know, Operation Lone Star isn't doing anything to, to solve those issues. It, it, is, it is just merely a political stunt so that these folks can stay in power and say that they did something. But there are truly ways that we can go after the cartel and we can go after um, drug smuggling and, and human smuggling. But it's, it's not the way that uh, our leadership has, has made it out to be.
1: Yeah, you can go after the crime while still making it clear that refugees and asylum seekers and immigrants yeah. are welcome, you know? And that's never going to be the case as long as the GOP holds power. I mean, uh, you and I, I think we're probably the same. I'm an immigrant myself. So uh, we see diversity as strength, right? And we recognize yeah. that immigrant communities are central to the growth of the country and particularly the growth of Texas. And respecting those communities and trying to help them out rather than ship them away like they're dirty garbage you don't want to look at is the best thing we could do to build these communities up and that would also probably help with the the crime
0: our federal government does need to do its job to make sure you know that we have an orderly immigration process and that asylum is a right that is respected i mean asylum seekers have the right to come and ask for Asylum and the protection of this country. The other thing I would like to see happen is a, a better effort to make sure that we're improving conditions in people's home countries. Uh, you know, that's, that's the, the root of this issue is that people are fleeing real violence. So, working with foreign nations, making sure our federal government does that to improve conditions in home countries is, is going to be absolutely critical.
1: Listen, the bottom line is you can't win Texas just by mobilizing the Democratic base because they're at a disadvantage in Texas, right? The hope is that all these issues, border control, abortion, immigration, these kind of things will galvanize the Democratic base, but also pull over some independents and some Republicans that are looking at things a bit differently because you're going to need those votes too. And I know you're reaching out right now to try and get people to understand how important this race is. You know, Ken Paxton is doing giant fundraisers at Trump's golf club in Bentminster, you know, where people can win private jet rides and you're out there traveling the state, meeting people, trying to boost enthusiasm and let people know that like women need to know that this race matters. Latinos need to know that this race matters. And I think honest thinking people need to know that this race matters because Texas is an incredibly polarized state and we need to convince people that it's okay to vote for the opposing party. Like sometimes you just need the right candidate at the right time. And I feel like you and Beto O'Rourke are kind of those things. You're both in that together. And I think that's why people like Ken Paxton are nervous seeing that you're two points from him. You know, he's getting in there like, let's mess with the voting because this woman might win.
0: And the thing is, I'm representative of the changing demographics of the state. You know, I'm a mother. I'm a, I'm Latina. I'm from the border, a rural community. I'm a working person. I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. I know what it's like to have a lot of student debt. And that's the kind of representation that we need on the statewide level. And I'm the only Latina on the uh, statewide ticket, Democrat or Republican on the executive side. I'm the only person of color on on the ticket. So, you know, we need to make sure that we have representation that reflects our communities because that's how you change things. That's how you change the law so that it that it benefits everyone, not just the privileged few, like what we've had in Texas for, for almost 30 years. If
1: you won, you'd be the first Latina ever elected to statewide office in Texas. I mean, there was one Latina in the past, but she was appointed. Most of the state's top officials are white, even though white and Latino Texans equate for about the same amount of the population, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. is... That's intolerable. And it also means people just truly aren't represented. I mean, when you just did the census, 95% of the growth in the state was from non-white communities. And yet when they did the, the, the gerrymandering, when they drew the districts, it certainly didn't reflect that. That's right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today, Rochelle. I mean, we're in a position in America where we really have to accept that we've never really had true equality under the law. We just have to look at your opponent to see that, right? He's supposed to stand trial for felony fraud charges that are so egregious. If he's convicted, he could face up to 99 years in prison. And here he is, top law enforcement official in Texas running to do the job again, right? So we know that the system isn't fair, but we have an alternative to this system. And we have candidates like you who are running to be that alternative, right? And we have to have people like you winning these races and out here demanding that things be more fair and more just and quite frankly, more American. And so I hope people that are listening to this will do whatever it takes to help you get over the finish line because we need to stop with whatever has happened before. Whatever's been going on for 30 years, it's clearly not working. We heard the statistics from Texas and we need to make sure that we can go forward in a better direction.
0: And I will say this, look, to protect civil rights, we need to start looking at, at state politics, because statewide politics is going to be the new frontier in terms of protecting people's civil rights. So paying attention to who is on your ballot in your state is going to be really important, but also paying attention to what's happening in Texas, because unfortunately, what does happen in Texas doesn't stay in Texas, especially when it's the bad stuff. So I would encourage people to go to my website, RochelleGarzaForTexas.com, uh, you know look me up look at my positions donate if you can i mean we're within we're within striking distance and just to repeat myself this is the closest statewide race that we have as democrats in the state of texas and it is one of the most competitive races in the country so this is the opportunity that we have to make a real change a resounding change not just in the state of texas but across the country that because once we win texas we win the country. So thank you for having me on. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to you and to your listeners. And um, I'm excited about the future.
1: I'm excited about the future, too. And I really hope it's people like you that are leading us, because I have great hope in the people of America. And I have great hope that people will see what is essential and what rights they believe they must have, and that people are eventually going to say, absolutely not. We're done with this kind of corrupt endless garbage. And we want people who are really going to represent us. And then maybe we can see real change. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So that was Rochelle Garza, Democratic candidate for attorney general of Texas, and just the environmentally safe professional grade solution to clean up Ken Paxton's toxic black mold of leadership. Paxton has no business walking free, let alone in office. And Michelle is brave and brilliant and knows the state and the people in a way that few others could ever hope. This is a woman called to leadership who wants to use the AG's office to truly make life better for people. She'll protect women's rights, stand up for immigrants, look out for marginalized communities, and she'll be able to fight crime and border issues from a place of knowledge, not xenophobia. Finally, just like Jen Jordan before her, she will protect your vote while their opponents are trying so hard to take it away. As I said earlier, there should be no contest. Rochelle Garza should be winning Texas by 10 points. Jen Jordan should be way ahead. But life isn't fair, and this is politics. So they're both going to need your help to get over the finish line. Tell your friends, go to their websites, support these races, promote these women. And AG has the power to hold politicians accountable, to promote justice and equality, to protect our democracy. This isn't a job that should just go to anyone. It certainly isn't a job that should go to criminals or party shills. This is a job that belongs in the hands of someone worthy. And these women are worthy. I want to thank Rochelle and Jen for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. We're down to the wire now, people. You make it count. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media
0: Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.